uh, blinded by the French fry lights up here. But anyway, it is so good to see every one of you. If you are a guest, there's a place inside of our bulletin that you can tear out and uh, and uh, put your name and address and all that. We would just, we're not going to bug you, we're not going to hound you, but we would like to send you a letter and say thank you for coming. If you call Life Church your home, could you just welcome our guests with a hand clap this morning? Tell them how good it is to see them. I don't normally do this and call people out, but I just met a couple that I'm real excited about because they're from like my favorite country outside of the United States, and that is Kenya. And uh, that is Rose and Robinson that are here. And so if we could welcome them this morning, it is so good uh, to see it. And it's too bad. Sometimes we sing Hakuna Mungu, come away, way. We'll do that another time. But uh, anyway, it is so good to have you uh, today. And um, it's good to have everybody here. I uh, just want you to know that uh, Life Church is a, is a non-denominational church that... Uh, is filled with the Spirit of God, and we are so glad that you're here and, and a part of us today. I would announce that next Sunday, if you've been uh, visiting with us for a while, we have a, we have a welcome uh, Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, where after our services, uh, we provide lunch for all of the guests that want to learn more about Life Church. And so we'll provide lunch, and we'll just give you an opportunity to hear what we believe and teach. And, uh, you know, we do a little spiritual gifts inventory where we kind of discover what your spiritual gifts are. And, and uh, if you're interested in plugging into the church, how you can do that. So that's next Sunday, and we would love to have you be a part of that. Did I forget anything, Mel, or did I get it all covered? All right, so good. Uh, you are really in for a treat today because uh, one of our other pastors on staff is going to be preaching today. And I love uh, when Chris Oaks preaches. He is a, a dynamic, young uh, preacher of the Word of God. And it's, we are, we are, everybody at Life Church just know that we're blessed to have uh, Chris and Crystal to be a part of us. Absolutely, absolutely. And I saw Tanner out here. Tanner's here, isn't he? Tanner, his band did their debut album concert last night, and they just packed the house at the Vienna Coffee Club and did a great job. And his brain is like noodles and mushrooms this morning, and he's just wasted, uh, worn out from all of the stuff. So he's back there, and he's not sleeping, though. He's awake, so we're really glad for that. Uh, but you'll see him back on the stage next week. Hey, worship team, you just did a great job this morning leading us into the presence of God, and I'm very, very thankful for that. And uh, we're blessed to have, you, you know, f for the first, like, three months, Everyone just called them the college kids, the college kids. But they have names. They are Taylor and Tanner. And uh, we are really blessed to have Taylor and Tanner, aren't we, uh, as part of our congregation and helping us lead worship. But uh, without any further ado, let's welcome Chris Oaks as he comes and brings us the word this morning. God bless you, Chris. Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. And uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of Life Church. We're up to 13 people who believe that. But just a couple months ago, there were only five, so we're growing exponentially. It's an exciting time to be a part of what's going on at Life Church. Amen. That's better. That's better. And uh, right now, we're in the middle of a series, and I want to jump right into it, called Changing Your Family Tree. And how many have been enjoying? I'll, I'll take some extra house lights if we can. How many have been enjoying um, hearing Pastor Phil so far preach? Uh, about changing your family tree. 
That, that, yeah, I hope so. Um, if you haven't, if you've missed some of the messages, they're online. You can always go online and listen to them. But um, it's it's been exciting to get into it. And over the past couple Sundays, uh, he started telling us about secrets. Uh, uh, to changing our family tree. And so a couple Sundays ago, we learned about the importance of Scripture and prayer and how those impact us and change us as we go forward and change the generations after us. Last week, he talked. I wasn't able to hear, but I listened online. And uh, he spoke about living a Spirit-led life. How many know it's important to live a Spirit-led life? To allow God to guide us and direct us to be responsive to His call and to, and to uh, allow Him to, to do the work He wants to do in us. And so we heard about that last week. So, last week. so this week, um, we want to uh, continue, and I've got a secret to tell you. If I, if, if I could show you a way, if I could show you another way, to change your family tree, you'd want to you'd hear about it, wouldn't you? Well, you're in luck because I'm going to tell you today. The third secret to changing your family tree is community. Look at your neighbor and say, community. Now, if you want to make yourself feel like you uh, spent a lot of time studying, and actually it didn't take that much time, but going to theology classes, maybe even going to seminary, uh, here, this will make you feel really good. Look at your neighbor and say, koinonia. Koinonia. It sounds like an Asian word, but it's actually a Greek word, and we attempt to pronounce it koinonia. But what it is translated in the Bible is fellowship or communion or community. And that's what koinonia is. And so today we're going to talk, if you want to feel really good about your Bible knowledge, we're going to talk about koinonia. If you'd rather just keep it 21st century English, we're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about other people. And that's a, a secret, and you say, well, I, uh, that's, that's not big. And, and really, actually, almost all of these messages we're going through, it's just the basics of what God wants to do in our lives. And it doesn't require you to have a lot of money or a lot of education, a lot of training, or a long time in a particular church. It just requires you to be open to what God wants to do. And one of the things God wants you to do is to hang out with other people. Some of y'all don't, ain't, you ain't down with that, but I'm hoping I'm going to convince you by the end uh, of this message. And this is actually not going to take a long time because um, I think you'll catch on really quick. Now, in order to understand what God wants, we have to understand uh, Hollywood. Amen. Let, me, uh, <laughs> let me help you with that. Um, as, as, as television became big and popular, most of the shows, a lot of the shows, maybe we should say, a lot of the shows revolved around family, right? Uh, Leave it to Beaver, the Waltons, and if you're older than me, you can name a whole bunch more, but that's about where my, uh, the Andy Griffith show even, a lot of revolving around family. But as we got into the 70s, which happened to be the decade I was born, we kind of pulled away from family, and we started developing more of community. And I think the show that really did it, the, the real big-time show that kind of blew open television for a lot of people was a show called MASH. And MASH wasn't about family. It was about individuals that were thrown into a situation, in this case, the Korean War. That's the right war, correct? The Korean War. And uh, they were thrown into, and so they, they had this community uh, and uh, if you ever watched MASH, you know that those people were some of the most 
odd, weird, but yet um, endearing people that you could ever see or be a part of. And when you watch Mass, you felt like these people really love each other. They, are, they have created this community in the middle of this horrendous situation around them. And they have a job to do, but in the middle of that, they have almost become a family themselves. Right. And they've become a community. And uh, so from 1972 to 1983, it was one, or thereabouts, it was one of the highest rated shows. It still today has some of the highest, uh, especially the finale of MASH, one of the highest rated TV, most, one of the most watched TV programs of all time. Because people who weren't a part of that at all, and people who didn't even have a background in the, in the services, didn't know anything about that, they connected watching every week this group of people live their lives together. As we got into the 80s and I got old enough, we moved away from MASH. But right as MASH finished, another show started. And uh, let's go down memory lane. Uh, why don't you check this out? This, this was a show called, and it wasn't, it wasn't set in uh, the Korean War. It was set in Boston, Massachusetts in a bar. And uh, let's go down memory lane for a minute. Just listen and watch this. Remember this? You can sing along if you want to. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. And your third fiancé didn't show, it says. Where? Where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Our troubles are all the same. Where everybody knows your name. And if you, were a, if you were a watcher of Cheers, I don't mind you clapping at all because I happen to think that was one of the best shows ever. Uh, and, and I watched it and you say, well, that, that's pretty sad. You were 10 years old watching a show about a bar, but it wasn't about the bar. The bar was just the setting for this group of people. Again, very odd, weird people, but that grew this community and were almost like family. And if you remember, uh, it started out, and, and uh, one of the bartenders, they called him Coach. And Coach died, and they had to figure out how to address that. But it was a member of the family had died. And it was this show about community, and as it went on, it went from about 83 to 92. And for those 10 years and well over 200 episodes, uh, it just people came, and, and it was one of the top-rated shows through the majority of its run on TV because, again, people showed up. In, in fact, I had Thursday night church, and so we were so excited when they created VCRs because that meant we didn't have DVRs and we didn't have on-demand. We had VCRs, and if we could figure out how to set the timer, we could tape Cheers and come home from church and that night or the next night watch <laughs> Cheers after church. Now, it sounds crazy, but you know what it was about. It wasn't about beer and all of those things. It was about, and here. My favorite character on Cheers uh, was Norm. 
And when Norm walked in the door, everybody said, Norm, right? Because it was a place where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. And they shared the struggles and shared the... And so we went through the run of Cheers. And right as Cheers was ending, a show was being developed that started just a few months after Cheers was over. And this show, so we had MASH, and then we had Cheers. And to continue, uh, it it was obvious in the 90s, we need another show that's going to do this. It's going to create this community that's going to get people excited about watching the lives of these individuals every every week. Uh, And you know what that show was called? It was called Friends. Let's look at it real quick. (laughs) Oh, got to turn it up. Y'all can sing along because we got the lyrics to this one. No one told you life. Come on. There you go. It hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, but here's the kicker. And I would tell you uh, that that show gained just as much attention as Cheers, just as much attention as MASH for some of the episodes, because people, again, were willing to sit down and invest their time in watching people create community together. Weird people with odd and peculiar uh, ways about them, and yet they knew they were going to be loved. They knew they were going to be there for one another in and out of all of the craziness of life. And we would come on into the most recent decades, but the truth is I stopped watching TV in the 90s. So I don't know that. I don't know if there's been any, but you know, there have been shows. Think of the best shows that are uh, around. And usually it's about a group of people, whether it's your drama on, on, on weeknights or whether it's your comedy. It's about a group of people that come together and they're there. They're always there and they always accept and they always love. It, it, it's as if there's something about the way God made us that craves a relationship. And so we want to talk about that just for a few minutes uh, about it. And this isn't it, it's. It's not even something that we have to go to Scripture to find the answer for it. Let me, let me read you something. John Ortberg writes in one of his books about a research project on relationships. Headed by George Kaplan of Harvard, it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. And researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Now listen. People who had bad health habits like smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, bad sleep habits, no exercise, or even excessive alcohol use, those people, if they had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. And John Ortberg says this, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than to eat broccoli alone. Now that's, that's something to be excited about, isn't it? 
Because I give you the option of Twinkies or brownies and say, which one's healthier? You'd say, or <laughs> Twinkies or brownies, Twinkies or broccoli. I'd say, which one's healthier? You'd say the broccoli. But the fact is, not necessarily. Because uh, just as a nutrient provider, broccoli wins uh, hands down. But if you don't also have relationships and people in your life that are there for you, the Twinkies can help you more than the broccoli because of the other things that are, you're getting that your, your body, your nature, your being needs. And he finishes this. He says, Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. If you have no, no real social ties and you decide, all right, I'm going to join a group, and he's even saying it can be, uh, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. It can be the bowling league. It can be this or that or the other. But just having a social group of people that you look forward and, and hang out with on a weekly basis can cut your risk of dying in half over the next year. For another study, as reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. That's one of those things that you read in the paper. You know, we need you know, 10 people to volunteer for this study, infected them with a virus uh, that produces the common cold. The study found that people with strong emotional connections to a social group did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. Which proves, uh, John Orberg says, uh, that people who are isolated are snottier than people who aren't a part of groups. And if you ever needed any better reason to go to church, to join a small group, to hang out with people, uh, it will benefit your health. But you got to know we're not here today just to talk about health, but it's a good start. But what does Scripture have to say? I want us to look real quick at 1 John chapter 1, and I want us to walk through these seven verses because I think they're, they're pivotal to the way John came to know Jesus and the way we now can come to know Jesus and follow Jesus. So let's start with verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John says, I'm going to write and try to convey to you the things that I have experienced. Look at the next verse. The life appeared. He's talking about who? The light which is, the life which is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life appeared, he says. We have seen it and testify. And this is the same John that in the first book, uh, the, the epistle of John, when he started writing, he said... The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, lived among us. So he says, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. Next verse. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. You, you can tell John was a very, uh, a very sensual person. And that's not a bad term. That's a, a very, he was a person of the senses. He wants you to know. He said, we've seen, we've heard, we've touched. These are, this is something we've experienced. It's not something that's theoretical and it's in our minds, but it's something that's very real. And we participated in the, the communion that Jesus offered. And now I'm trying to convey that to you. And he says, um, watch this, 
what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. There's the first time that word shows up, fellowship, koinonia. Fellowship's apparently the best translation because the King James uses it, the NIV uses it. The little translations I looked up use it. It's the best word we can come up with. It sounds like an old-fashioned word, but it's the word that best conveys. We have a, a fellowship with us. That word, when you break it down to its root, it means uh, something shared in common. And uh, so the, the very basis, it says it's common, but not common as in just ordinary. Common as in it's mine and it's yours. It's something we share. And so he says uh, that you may have fellowship with us. He says, I need you to understand about Jesus uh, because that's what needs to be common between us. That's what we need right. to share. Right. And our fellowship, he's talking about um, John and Peter and James and Paul, all of the apostles and the believers that have come alongside over the last few years since the resurrection of Jesus. He says, our fellowship, our common ground that we share in the church is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we have, well, let's keep going. I'm getting ahead of myself. We write this to make our joy complete. So he connects the fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with other believers with joy. Right? Eating Twinkies together. Yeah. So let's go to the next verse. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Keep going. If we claim to have fellowship, there's the second Uh, The third time, if we claim to have koinonia, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So we have fellowship with Jesus, which brings us into fellowship with the God of all creation. And that is intended to bring us into fellowship with each other. On that common ground. Keep going. But if we walk in the light, catch this, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John says there's a connection between the the way we share our life with God and the way we share our lives with one another. In fact, John will go so far as to say later that if you claim to love God, but don't love your brother, he's got a real subtle term for it. You're a liar. He's real subtle about that. You're lying. It's it's so intertwined. He says you can't separate fellowship with Jesus that brings you into fellowship of God. Remember, Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father is me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there's this, there's this uh, unbreakable unity, and we have fellowship with Jesus, which brings us into fellowship with, with the Father. But John says, if we walk in that light, uh, we have fellowship with one another. And so we have to understand, if we're going to affect uh, our lives, to effect good change, positive change in our lives, and our children and our grandchildren are going to see that, and our family tree is going to be changed, uh, it doesn't just say, uh, well, I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus. 
it has to also say, and in order to have that relationship with Jesus, I have to have a relationship with other people who have a relationship with Jesus. Now, some of y'all are excited to hear that, and some of y'all are just acting like you're excited to hear that, and others of y'all don't really care to hear that because the fact is sometimes it's really hard. And a lot of us, a lot of times in our lives, fall into the category of, uh, I like that idea. I just don't like living it out. But watch what Jesus has to say. I'm not going to put this on the screen, but because, because you all know this. The, the Sadducees come to Jesus one time and they say, well, what's the greatest commandment? If we could just boil it down, just tell us the basic thing. It's kind of like your kids, right? Sometimes you see Jesus working with the people that are around him, and it's like he's talking to toddlers. Because they're like, well, you know, what's the very, le- the, the, the very least we have to do? Boil it down for us to the minimal thing. He says, that's pretty easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And most people are like, yes, I'm down with that. I'm good with that. I can love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength because, after all, what does that really look like? You know, how can you tell me I don't love God? If I say I love God, doesn't that mean I love God? Jesus won't stop there, remember? He says, I, wait, 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 don't walk away yet. Sermon's not over. He says, the second command is just like the first. And it's to love your neighbor with the same love, the same intensity, the same passion, the same concern, the same care that you have for yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, I really love me. The amount of time you spend in the morning looking in the mirror... Stand in the shower, pressing your clothes, getting ready for work. Uh, you love yourself. You know you do. And Jesus says the same amount of love that you have for yourself, you have to have for others. And he says that command is just like the first. Now, how is it possible that to love others is just like loving God? Well, Let's think about that for just a second. Jesus says in John chapter 14, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Okay, so what's the teaching? John tells us in chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. And in verse 21, he says, he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And some of us are still good with that because, uh, you know, I can say I love my brother and that's good enough, right? That means I love him, right? John says in chapter 3 of 1 John Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So if you get into Scripture, you find out that love isn't this idea. Love isn't even really a noun. Love is a verb. So we can't just say love. We have to do love. Love is a verb. It's something I do. We can't. Say love, we have to do love, and here's the kicker, we can't do love apart from other people. Because the truth is, you love yourself, but you can't really love and express that love until you've got another person to give that love to. And so with that same passion and energy, Jesus says we have to back out of our isolation and we have to begin to love other people. My love for you cannot be theoretical. It can't be an idea in my head. Just as faith is evidenced by works, love is evidenced by my actions, my attitudes, my deeds. 
and, and you say, well, God said to, to uh, the prophet Samuel, uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But the fact of the matter is that while God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance. Man needs something tangible. Women need something tangible. Can I get an amen from the husbands? No? <laughs> Okay, if, I, if you couldn't name man that, let me give you an idea. Three weeks, Valentine's Day is coming up. Tangible. Roses. Chocolate. Massages. Oils. Perfumes. Clothes. Something tangible. Or actually, how about this? I'll do that. You guys, you just try the theoretical thing. Honey, I love you, but I love you so much. I knew I couldn't even express it by giving you something. So I'm just, I'm just here to say I love you and see what happens. Let me, let me know what happens. As for me, I'm going to buy something and say, honey, you know I love you, but I just in case you needed something, right, here you go. Something tangible. We need something to hold on to. And it's not just women. It's men. It's people. It's human nature. We need to see and know and feel so we can understand the expression of love. So Jesus emphasizes his relationships with others, and then he exemplifies the life we are to live. And he lives in proximity to his best friends. He shares his life with them. He eats, he drinks, he teaches, he learns, he laughs, he cries. Eugene Peterson calls it the unforced rhythms of life. You say, well, that's all fine and good, but there's just one problem with, with hanging out with other people. There's just one problem with loving other people, and that problem is people, right? It's a great idea until you actually have to do it, and then you're like, I got to love you. I got to help you. In fact, Charles Schultz, uh, the creator of the Charlie Brown comics, uh, he did one one time where Linus had had said he, he wanted to be a doctor. And so Lucy says, doctor, that's, you know, she basically says, that's the funniest thing I've heard. And she goes over to him, and she's jumping on her, she's got her jump rope, and she says, you can't be a doctor, you know why? And in the third, uh, the third square of the cartoon, she says, because you don't like mankind. And I got the, uh, the fourth square for you. Linus looks back, and he says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And isn't that where we end up a lot of times? I love mankind, but it's people. I, I love the idea of hanging with other people, but, man, it's just sometimes people. If I could just pick the certain people that I want to be with and nobody else comes in, but that's not what Jesus told us to do. You say, well, but there's, a, there's so many hypocrites. And to that we say in the church, absolutely. You say, well, there's so many self-centered people and it, and, and an honest church like Life Church, we say, you're right, absolutely. You say, well, there's so many mean-spirited people. And we're honest and we say, you're absolutely right. There's so many people that could take what I say and turn it and twist it. And to that we say, you're absolutely right. And Jesus says, you love them anyway. Right? In fact, a guy named, a doctor named Kent Keith came up with, what you probably heard, they're called the paradoxical commandments. And I just want to share them with you. He says, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. 
If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. And Jesus says, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, most of us probably screwed up in one way or another this week, amen? Well, maybe, maybe not a big, huge mess up, but you messed up. Did you love yourself the next day? You loved yourself. You know you did. In fact, we're really good at justifying our missteps, right, and magnifying somebody else's. Well, I just did it because I was tired, and, and I, or I was lonely, or I was this, or I was that. But now they got problems because... They don't have any of those. But the fact is, it's going to happen. But you've got to go after it anyway. Jesus says, somebody might strike you. It's one of the hardest things that Jesus ever said, right? Somebody strikes you on the cheek. You've got to love them. Somebody demands that you walk a mile. He says, offer a second. You have that. That love for people that goes beyond the circumstance of the moment and says, no, you're a creation of God. And there's something about the way when we get together. And here's what I think it's supposed to look like. We'll wrap this up and I'll I'll tell you what's what's not going to happen and what's going to happen in just a second. But usually when we're talking about attendance or fellowship, those types of things, Hebrews is where we go, right? Hebrews chapter 10, because Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says... Let us not give up meeting together, as some of them in the habit are doing. So we're like, you've got to come to church, you've got to come to church, you've got to come to church. But here's what he said, the very verse right before that. Why is it important that we come together? Just because it's something on our checklist or just because we want to increase the amount of, of time that we spend? No, this is what he says in verse 24 of Hebrews 10. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The writer of Hebrews says, here's what needs to happen when we get together. We need to challenge and provoke each other to love. And the only way you can love is by doing things for other people. And so when we get together on Sunday, it's not a very good time together if you haven't been challenged. Challenged by the music, challenged by other people, challenged by the preacher to do something that you haven't been doing or haven't been doing well, to get better at something. He says, let us consider how we may spur. You say, what does that mean? Well, you you old-timers know what that means, right? You put it on the back of your boot, and when the horse isn't going just the way you want him to go, you give him a little kick, right? Let us spur one another on. That's what we're supposed to be doing, spurring, kicking one another. That's church at its best when we come in and kick each other. Not kicking because we're down, right? But kicking because it's like, 
Oh, that's awesome. And you can do even better than that. And encouraging people. Come on, you can do this. You've got this. So next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to have available a chance for you to sign up and hook into small groups. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better that you can do if you started walking down the road of following Jesus than hook into a small group. Why? Because you can eat Twinkies with your small group and do better. And you're going to find inside that small group, you're going to find people who will be there for you when it rains in your life or when the sun is shining bright. And this is a way that you can bring change into your life that will affect your children and your grandchildren is hanging out with other people and saying, you know, I didn't get it perfect this week. I didn't get it all right this week, but I'm here again doing my part. I want I want to do that. So I want us to stand up and I'm going to pray over you. But instead of altar call, we're just going to have a call. Let's see. We got. Yeah, we got several minutes. I, we're just gonna we're gonna hang out. We're gonna kick each other for a few minutes because this is important. Let me tell you. Last week we hung out at a church in Louisville, Kentucky, where my parents attend and, and some of my other family members, and they had what they call a knockdown, dragout service. So there were people lying on the floor. I know that's crazy to some of y'all. There were people lying on the floor because the power of God was strong. There are people praying, repenting of their sins, being filled with the Holy Spirit. All kinds of stuff going on, and that was it. Was an amazing time. It really was. A few hours, or right after that, we went out to eat with family, an extended family. And then a few hours after that, we got together, we're playing Uno. Now, what was more important, the time with God or the time with others playing Uno? Equal. We need time with God. But we can't continually have time with God and separate ourselves from others John says, you've got to be able to love your brother because you can see your brother. And if you can't love your brother who you can see, how are you going to say you love God who you can't see? It's all together. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I want us to just spend the next five or ten minutes hanging out, laughing, just being. Don't don't run for your car. It's not that time yet. If the band was up here still playing, you'd have to be in your seat. So instead of being in your seat, don't go to your car. We're just going to stand around and kick each other. Spur one another, encourage one another, help one another. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this moment. And your presence has been so real and so strong. Lord, not just during the singing, but as we talk about your word and how you challenge us to live a better life. And so, God, I pray that each of us would be challenged. And Lord, I pray that those that aren't a part of a small group would say, you know what, that's the, that's the best thing I could do. It may challenge me, it may push me, but it's the thing that I need that will help me and my family and my children, my grandchildren. It could change my family tree. God, so I pray this over everybody, that the relationship with other believers in this church and maybe even in other churches, but the relationship with others would be strengthened so that they could feel their love and the relationship for you being stronger every day. We give all of our praise to you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's time to kick each other. So right now, fine. If, you, if there's somebody here that you haven't met yet, you don't leave this room until you met them and talk to them in Jesus' name.